So we've been working our way through various parts of Isaiah in this series, and you'll remember that as we moved into mid-March and prepared for the coming of Holy Week, we shifted to really what would be referred to generally as the second half of the book of Isaiah, spent a lot of time several Sundays looking at the fourth of the four servant songs in that segment of Isaiah 42 through 53. And we've spent some other time looking at what flows out of the servant's coming, that is Jesus, the Messiah, who fulfills the call of the servant who dies for our sins. And we've looked at some things that are in the latter half of the book of Isaiah primarily. But back on March 7th, after introducing Isaiah, spending a good deal of time in Isaiah chapter 6 on the holiness of God and the worship of God and his mission to his people, not only Isaiah, but ultimately to Jesus and the church, we did reintroduce Isaiah. And then on March 7th, we preached on Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1 through Isaiah 2 verses 1 through 4 or 1 through 5 is in effect the preview of God's message through Isaiah through the entire book. In fact, Old Testament theologian Peter Gentry says that there are seven cycles that ultimately end up with the recreate, what I would call the recreation, what he calls the transformation of Zion and the glorification of God's people from not only Judah, but also all the nations coming to be in and celebrate Zion. So back on March 7th, we talked about God's covenant lawsuit against his people who were violating God's standards for them. Not only to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, they were being idolatrous and adulterous towards God. Also, social injustice, they're not loving their neighbors as themselves, they're trying to get ahead all the time. And they're corrupt and defiled and idolatrous. And God warns them in Isaiah chapter one, you need to repent now. Otherwise, not just the discipline I've been giving you, not just the probations I've been giving you, you're going to the big house. You're gonna to go to, into exile in Babylon if you don't reform and repent. And of course we know that they don't, but there's this call for repentance. So there is hope there in chapter one, but let me tell you the way, this is a preview for all of Isaiah because what Isaiah is teaching us is that God does in his righteousness bring judgment. But in the midst of and through the judgment, he is going to bring grace and salvation to those who will turn to him. And then the question is, okay, what next? And Isaiah, who is the deepest and widest and most far-seeing of all the prophets, both looking back to the earliest creation and covenants all the way through to the end times, more so than, for instance, even Daniel, who has a great vision ahead, Isaiah is the whole story. And the little preview of this you get in Isaiah chapter one, and then the millennial and beyond the millennial view of Isaiah two, one through five. So we're gonna be turning now to the end of the opening preview that Isaiah gives us of the whole expanse of what he's covering in his message all the way to the future and to the end times. Are any of you interested in the future? Interested in what's going to happen down the road? Anybody interested in the end times, eternity? Anybody interested in that? Well, we get the little preview, Isaiah 2, 
one through four, and then the bridge vocational call, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So with that understood, let's go ahead and open up Isaiah 2, one through five. And remember this follows what we looked at in Isaiah one in the covenant lawsuit and judgment and the call to repentance and Judah's and Jerusalem's continuing disobedience leading to what happens to be the exile and the destruction of the temple, etc. But now, looking ahead, Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amotz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the chief, the Rosh, of all the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills. And the nations, the Gentiles, shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, so that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth Torah, instruction, the law, and the Lord's word from Jerusalem. And he shall set things right between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And then to the New Testament, to 1 John chapter 1. Beginning at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is music to God's ears, that there would be a people that say, I know there's a lot of stuff we can do in our lives and in this world, but come, let us walk in the Lord's light. You know what? God is rejoicing right now that you and that you who are joining us also through the technology that God provides for us now with worship can walk in God's light. You know, it's a miracle. How many of us, I know we've got a, one or two here maybe, 
How many of us are of Jewish descent? Jewish descent. We got about one, maybe a couple in here. Okay, how many of us are not Jewish, but Gentiles? Gentile background, right? So this miracle is already happening that Isaiah is seeing that leads all the way bridging to the end times because the kingdom is already upon us, although it's not quite yet. This is music to God's ears when we come together and worship him. When we say, let us walk in his light and let us learn his word. Let's talk about his word and follow it. So that brings us to the sermon today. And you have notes so you can follow along uh, in the handout that is the insert. Number one, what is your goal? What is your goal in life? And this really struck me, this theme struck me for today because I just came back. In fact, I, Nancy and I arrived right before midnight. <laughs> so we arrived slight, slightly before Sunday uh, last night and we're having vacation Bible school this, this week. Um, our goal, my friends, is not vacation, but vocation. Most Americans during my lifetime have said, I'm living for the weekend. And I'm living broadly speaking for those vacations that I'm planning. I, I know a lot of folks that will spend hours and hours planning for vacation destinations, but cannot give God two minutes for his Bible, right? So, I mean, there, there's a lot of that in the world today. But our calling is not to vacation, but vocation. And that calling that we have in God is, we answered it with the answer to the first question of the larger catechism. What's our goal? It's to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. So, um, real rest for Christians is responding to vocation. Vocation. You know, and all this kind of circles back around to, in the past, I have proposed to children's ministry, our children's ministry leaders here, maybe not here, but in previous churches, we ought to change the name from Vacation Bible School to Vocation Bible School. It's always kind of been shot down, but I think it would be a great, and you could just call it, everybody calls it BBS anyway, so why not, right? Now, notice this, when Jesus says in his famous uh, invitation that's recorded in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, does he say, let's go on vacation or let's veg out? And here's what heaven's gonna be like. You're gonna be floating on a cloud and watching a Christian version of Netflix, like Inspire TV. That's, that's what your eternity is gonna be, floating in a cloud, maybe occasionally singing. No, no, no. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and here's what happens. Take my yoke upon you. Wait a minute, that's a work term. And that's also, by the way, a law term, a, an instruction term. You mean I got to keep learning? Yeah. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So guess what? We find rest not in vegging out, but in being enlivened by God in Jesus Christ and in learning and growing in him. What he tells his disciples is, if you've been faithful with a little, little bit here, I'm going to give you a lot to do in the world to come. You're not going to be vegging out watching the Christian version of Netflix or just going to ball games all the time. You actually are going to be engaged. Uh, you will find rest for your souls. The center of Isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 that we just read is there in verse 3, the second part. 
Gentiles answering the gospel call to salvation. And what do they say? Let's go up to the mountain of the house of the Lord. So why? Why are they going to do it? So that he may teach us his ways. Do you hear that? He may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. All through the Bible, a relationship with God is described as a walk. You are making decisions and you're learning and growing and putting things into practice. So here's the point. Salvation does not lead us to a dormant destination. If I could just live there, everything would be solved. If I could just get to that vacation that I'm planning, then I will be happy. No, salvation that comes from the Lord does not lead us to a dormant destination. Salvation leads us into a new life of, I'll unpack this, peripatetic preparation. This is what sanctification is all about, and this is where Isaiah is calling us to be in relationship to the God who is Kodesh, 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 holy, holy, holy. You want to be with God? You want to be with God in the end times? You want to be with God in heaven? You must be sanctified, not only justified, but also made holy. And the process, he claims you as his own, so you are sanctified in that, but the process that he calls you to is a preparation. This life is about learning and growing in the Lord. Peripatetic, let me explain that. That means walking with, okay? That's the way some ancient teachers taught. This is totally the way Jesus teaches. He doesn't just sit his disciples down in a classroom at a rabbinical school and say, learn. He takes them out on the road, right? And he has them encounter a whole bunch of situations. This is peripatetic teaching, learning on the street, learning in different situations. Parents, the Bible says, if you're going to teach your children, you don't just teach them at home. You are supposed to teach them at home, but you're supposed to teach them as you walk along the way out on the street in all the different situations with them. What would Jesus do here? Notice that situation. How should we respond to that? You notice what daddy did, or here's where daddy messed up. Let's pray about it, and we can revisit that in the future, right? Walk in the Bible means putting into practice your way of living your faith. God says to Abram, Abraham, Genesis 17, 1, as God continues to call Abraham, here's what he says, walk before me and be blameless or be perfected, be made complete, whole. God says to Abraham, walk before me. We're on a journey. Um, this is anchored in God's mercy for Abraham. God is giving himself to Abraham in the covenant, but God expects Abraham to walk, get off the couch. How does Jesus call people repeatedly? Remember the way Jesus called people? Does he say, sign the card and I'll see you in heaven? Is that what Jesus says? Sign the card, raise your hand at a rally, and I'll see you in heaven? No, he says what? Come, follow me. Come, fo drop your nets, come follow me. Sell everything you have, come follow me. Come follow me. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself daily, take up his cross, and do what? Follow me. It's a walk, it's a preparation. This is sanctification, how God brings about sanctification. And not just from the Father, calling Abraham, right? And not just from Jesus. Let's go fully Trinitarian here. Galatians 5, 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also do what? Keep in step with the Spirit. Hear it? Keep in step with the Spirit. So it's a vocation to walking with God, to living with God. 
Hence, I'll make my appeal again. Let's call it Vocation Bible School. We can still give the initials VBS. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, so that he may teach us his ways and that we may do what? Walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth Torah. That's the Hebrew there. It means instruction, oftentimes translated law, but we don't have a real good vision of that. So I just put down Torah. For the Lord's word goes forth from Jerusalem. Um, secondly, God's perfect purpose for his people, his destiny for Zion, the mountain of the Lord, this is beautiful poetry, shall be exalted and magnetic. The nations flowing uphill. Okay, the nations flowing uphill. Um, Isaiah 2.1 begins with a superscription, just like we had at the beginning of 1.1. Um, it, it just tells us who Isaiah is, Yeshayahu Benamotes, and he, it's the vision or the word, actually, the word here. It's interesting, word or thing, hadabar, can mean like thing or word that he saw, Kaza, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now, let me tell you this. I'm not going to deal with this today. Isaiah... 2, 2 through 4 is basically parallel with Micah 4, 1 through 3. And there's always a big debate about who got it first. Um, Isaiah is a little bit older than Micah. I actually believe that Micah was a, one of those disciples that's described in the book of Isaiah for a while with Isaiah. And if you follow some of the phrasing, I won't go into all the technical reasons, I believe this comes through Isaiah first and then to Micah. They use this poetry, this incredible song for different purposes. Uh, but that's just a note there. Um, it's beautiful poetry, and you got to understand mountains are symbolic, and they're obvious symbolism. Because in the ancient world, in most of the ancient world, the mountains are viewed as the place of the gods. Okay, you know the Acropolis in Athens, Meru, where all the Hindu gods are supposed to originate from, uh, the Himalayans. This is saying this is not saying literally that somehow. Um, Zion is going to be raised up much higher than Mount Everest. This is saying in the future and when the last days come, everybody's going to know there's only one real God. And the mountain or the fellowship you need to be concerned about is him. And the faith, the religion that is true is his faith. So we're called to his house. Uh, house means a whole lot of things. It doesn't just mean a structure. In fact, in here, it's really talking about a fellowship, a, uh, a dynasty, and the kingdom of God, the reign of God. Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going to prepare a place for you. He, he's not going to do, I know he's a carpenter, but he's really not going to do construction work. He's talking about bringing us into the communion of God. As Paul says, the present Jerusalem is going to pass away. And as Revelation says, we're looking to a new Jerusalem that's going to come down from heaven. That, that's what we're talking about. So we're dealing with this message, too, that is really important. So I want you to get this. This is important just on our ministry here. Notice that in this vision that God gives of the future and our ministry on earth looking towards the last times, the emphasis is centripetal. Okay, everybody's coming in. 
But remember, at Pentecost and before Pentecost, Jesus says the mission is also centrifugal, right? We got to go out to the ends of the earth. And there's always this false dichotomy and false debate in ministry circles. Everybody says, no, you, you know, the church just needs to be out in the world and you don't need to have gatherings anymore or you don't need to have big gatherings anymore. And other people say, no, 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 you've got to have the big gatherings. And it's a false dichotomy. It's both and, folks. The vision that the Bible gives us of our ministry right now all the way heading to the end times is both bringing people together and sending them out. We're dealing with this reality check on Old Testament Judah here in this that lead up to this passage. Uh, it's a preview of God's judgment and the, the exile that's going to happen. But remember, Isaiah's vision is a lot bigger than just the Jews coming back to Jerusalem and, and a little temple being rebuilt, a little building being rebuilt. He's looking to a greater thing and a greater Zion. So what's our end? What's our goal? God's dominion. God's house. In the latter days, Hayamim sounds pretty cool, right? In Deuteronomy, it just means in the future. Here, I do think it means not just the future, but also the end, the same way Daniel uses it. Daniel and Isaiah only use that term a couple times each. Here, I think we're talking about what's not only the future, but also the end times. The Lord's day is coming, number four. He will set things right. What do you think about God? If you had to tell your grandchildren or your best friend about God, who is God? Well, one thing that the Bible is really clear on, we don't talk, a lot this, talk about this a lot. Isaiah helps us talk about this. God is a judge. He is a shofate. He's a judge. Um, is a judge somebody who, I don't know, like an elderly person who serves on the U.S. Supreme Court, maybe in a robe or over in England in a wig? Is that the way you picture Samson? Remember Samson from the Bible? He's a judge. Was he just sitting down with a wig on? No. <laughs> Gideon? No. In the Bible, a judge is somebody who delivers and sets things right and puts things in order. And what the Bible is telling us is that God not only is going to whip us out, like, beam me up, Scotty, God is going to make all things right. He's going to bring justice, he's going to bring deliverance, and he's going to set all things back in order, like before it was before the fall. Only better. Only even better. Because Zion will be exalted, and we will share on this side of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension with Jesus forever and ever. God's kingdom God's reign. So when you talk to your friends about Christian faith, you need to be ready to tell them that what the cross means and who Jesus is, is he's setting things right. He's not just an escape clause or an insurance policy. He's the whole thing. He's the judge. He's the show faith. And so what the scripture says is that in Isaiah 2, 4, he shall set things right, shafat, execute judgment between the nations. And guess what happens when this happens? People don't get to fight with each other anymore, right? And they will beat their swords into plowshares. What do you think that means? Are they going to kill or are they going to be fruitful? They're going to be fruitful. People will stop being deadly to each other. And, and 
unjust, unjust to each other. They're going to actually be fruitful. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. The garden, only better in Zion. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. They're not learning, they're not studying war. What are they going to study? God's peace. Living with God, right? The shalom of God. Now, this is kind of already broken in. What Jesus tells us is this is broken in. The kingdom of God is at hand. If I cast out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom of God is upon you. Jesus says all this, right? So the kingdom has broken in. The kingdom of God, the reign of God is in your midst. But he also teaches us to pray for the kingdom to come like it is in heaven. And he also says, until the son of man comes back, everything's not resolved. So D-Day, right? Remember today is the anniversary of D-Day. When we actually successfully took, the allies took Normandy, was the outcome of the war pretty much known? It actually was. When we took Normandy, things changed after then. Within a year, the war with Hitler and Nazi Germany is over. But was the war still going on? Absolutely. Did we still have the Battle of the Bulge and a whole lot of big challenges? Yeah, absolutely. That was used as an analogy a generation ago. Most of y'all aren't as old as I am, so you won't relate to this. But I can tell you back like 50 years ago, people referred to that as an analogy for understanding when Jesus came and the cross and the resurrection, that's like D-Day. Things have been turned around, okay? The end is, you know, inevitable, but there's still a lot that needs to happen. So that's the way we understand the kingdom already and not yet. So we're not in these last times that Isaiah is talking about, but we're heading that direction and we know we are. That's why we do VBS. That's why we do worship. That's what we're about as Christians. So what are we supposed to do? Number five, answer God's call to walk in his light, to glorify and enjoy him so that he may teach us his ways and we may walk in his paths. We may learn and Torah will go forth. God's instruction will go forth from Zion. I mean, so we flow up. Now y'all get that imagery, right? We flow up, the, the term is like a river flow. How many rivers have you ever seen flowing up, up a mighty mountain, flowing uphill? Isn't that amazing? The people flow up, Nahar, Naharu. They, they flow up like a, like a river, going uphill. And then the word comes out to them and to the word. The whole world gets the word of God. That's where we are as the church. That's our ministry. If we walk in the light, as God himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. Isn't that awesome? 1 John 1, 7, that's Christian life. And that's vocation, Bible school. I thought VBS was just for young children. I thought we cut it off at the fifth grade. No, it's only just beginning. It's an entire way of life. And I wanna invite you, I wanna invite you, even if you can't be here in person, because by the way, this Zion is not just about geographical Jerusalem. It transcends and replaces geographical Jerusalem ultimately. It's about being with God. Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, I tell you, 
A time is coming and is now here when people who worship the Lord will not worship on this mountain or even in Jerusalem necessarily because God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Come to him, worship him, glorify him, enjoy him now and forever. Welcome to the life of Vocation Bible School. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.